Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 51. Last week, I wrapped up the history of the city of Hebron, covering from the resurgence of the Islamists all the way through the modern era. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm beginning the history of the Hittites. So let's get started. Before diving into the Hittites, I'm going to take this week's episode and establish who and where they were in the Bible. And the reason I'm covering them now is because of their reference in Genesis 23, when Abraham purchased the land and cave where Sarah would be buried from Ephron the Hittite. Now before we travel too far down this road, a caveat, which I'll cover in more depth in a minute. No one is really certain who or where the Hittites originated. There are three current theories though. Just hang on, I'll get to them. In Genesis, the land deal, and therefore the Hittites, are mentioned again in Genesis chapter 25, when Abraham gave up the ghost. They are a continual part of the Old Testament narrative, warranting mentions from Abraham to Ezra, which of course was after the return from the Babylonian exile. If you try to put this on a historical timeline, at its maximum extent, this would be from about 2000 to 450 BC. And in between these dates, there was a great deal of interactions between the people who would become the Israelites and the Hittites. After Abraham, it was Esau who had two Hittite wives. Then, in Genesis chapter 27 verse 46, Rebekah is worried that Jacob, the grandson of Esau, will do the same. In Joshua chapter 1, God tells Joshua, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan you and all these people, into the land that I am giving them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness in the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea in the west, shall be your territory. End quote. In this passage, the Hittite territory is implied to encompass the area between what is today Lebanon and stretch east to the Euphrates River. And, as if that were not enough, it goes as far west as the setting sun. In Numbers chapter 13, the boundaries of the Levant are delineated with the Hittites being identified as living in the mountains. Unfortunately, the specific mountains are not mentioned. Throughout the Old Testament, the Hittites are mentioned in lists of other neighboring societies, usually including the Jebusites, Amorites, Amalekites, and Perizzites. And according to Exodus chapter 3, their land flowed with milk and honey. Then, in Judges chapter 1 was a curious story. In this passage, the Israelites conquered the city Bethel with the assistance of a turncoat named Luz. Due to his actions, they allow him to flee to the land of the Hittites, where he establishes the settlement that bears his own name. Some researchers believe Luz, the city, to be one and the same as Luizia, located in the Golan Heights. And Judges chapter 3 is a pivotal passage that involves the Hittites, among others. It reads from the New Revised Standard Version, so the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Havites, and the Jezebites, and they took their daughters as wives for themselves, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they worshipped their gods. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, forgetting the Lord their God and worshipping Baals and Asherahs. 
Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of King Cushrish Eshem of Aramonaram. And the Israelites served Cushrishim eight years. End quote. During the reign of King David, he had two highly placed soldiers who were referred to as Hittites, specifically Ahimlik and Uriah. In 1 Samuel chapter 26, the not yet King David hunted down the then King Saul, and he was accompanied by Amalekak the Hittite. But please note that Amalekak the Hittite was not the same person as Amalekak the high priest of the same era. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, David essentially had Uriah the Hittite, the first husband of Bathsheba, and his loyal soldier, killed. During King Solomon's reign, the Hittites are listed as a people the Hebrews have not yet been able to completely destroy. But at that time, they did pay a tribute to Israel. 1 Kings also states that the Hittites paid a tribute of bond service. According to most sources, bond service is to labor without wages. Or less politely stated, it's slavery. Apparently, at least according to the passage, Egypt and Syria were in a similar situation. 1 Kings chapter 10, and essentially the same in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, both recount how King Solomon apparently bought horses, chariots, and cloth from Egypt, and then resold them at a profit to the Hittites and Syrians, making King Solomon an international arms trader, but also apparently not alarmed by his neighbors being sufficiently equipped. Also in 1 Kings, this time in chapter 11, King Solomon's wives are revealed to be Hittites, among others. I could paraphrase, but I run the risk of misquoting and maybe losing the twistedness. So to quote, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Amamite, Edomite, Sidian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the Israelites, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither they shall with you, for they will surely incline your heart to follow their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Among his wives were 700 princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not true to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon followed Astarte, the goddess of the Sidians, and Milcom, the abdomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not completely follow the Lord, as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Shemash, the abdomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abdomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who offered incense and sacrificed to their gods. Then the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this matter, that he should not follow other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord commanded." End quote. And, in some ways, it's reassuring to know that even the wisest man who ever lived made ghastly mistakes. Now is probably just as good a point as any for a little side trip into what it was that the Hittites worshipped. 
The Hittite religion is thought to have been greatly influenced by their predecessors and neighbors, specifically the Hattics, Mesopotamians, and Hurrians. And, also, and early in their history, there is evidence of influence from societies west of them in Europe. This is part of the reason that researchers believe the later Hittites may have migrated from further west. So-called storm gods were significant in their pantheon of deities. A god, lowercase g, known as Tarhunt, was often denoted under several different aliases, such as the Conqueror, the King of Kumia, the King of Heaven, and the Lord of the Land of Hatti. He is thought to have been the paramount deity among their gods. He was often symbolized as a bull. Sometimes, though, he was portrayed as a bearded man beside two mountains and bearing a club. As such, he was their god of battle and victory, and more specifically so when the conflict involved a foreign power. Also, he apparently was in constant conflict with a serpent named Iluyanka. While not directly mentioned in the passage found in 1 Kings, he may have been one of the gods that Solomon allowed his wives to worship, and he himself turned towards to the abomination of God. Back to the Hittites of the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 16, both the Hittites and the Amorites were used symbolically by the prophet Ezekiel to insult the Israelites. But what do we know about the Hittites outside of the Old Testament? The Hittites occupied a region within Anatolia, what is today Turkey, prior to 1700 BC. During this time, their culture is thought to have developed from the Hattis, or maybe the Hurrians. Over time, they managed to expand their territorial holdings into an empire. In fact, they grew so large that they eventually loomed over Egypt. The Hittites were frequently mentioned throughout the Old Testament as the enemies of the Israelites. They were first mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 as the descendants of Heth, a son of Canaan. Of course, Canaan was the son of Ham, the grandson of Noah. Therefore, at least according to the Table of Nations, the Hittites were also Canaanites. To get a little more specific, they were the second of the eleven Canaanite nations. Outside of the Bible, well, actually a little inside the Bible too, there are essentially three theories about who these people were. First, they may have been one and the same as a group referred to as the Hattians. Like I mentioned earlier in the episode, the Hattians were the precursors to the Hittites in Anatolia. Next, they're the Hittites, who are also from Anatolia, but not originally. These Hittites are thought to have originated further west, in Europe, and migrated to Anatolia to overtake the Hatties. Second Kings, in chapter 7, seems to imply that they originated from outside the Levant, maybe Anatolia. In this passage, they are positioned as possessing a powerful military. The passage reads, For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the sound of chariots, and of horses, the sound of a great army. There is also the implication that they had some established military power, enough to cause a problem for the Syrian army whom they were hired to fight. Finally, they could have been a Canaanite group, who may have been related to either or both of the Anatolian groups, but then again, they could have been completely different from these two as well. They may also have been related to the Luwians. 
Some researchers have suggested that the biblical reference to the Hittites may be separated into two distinct groups. The first group, and making up the majority of the Old Testament references, are to a Canaanite tribe as encountered by Abraham and his family. Supporting this claim is that the given names of these Hittites are seemingly Semitic, such as Ephron and Zoar, in the story of the burial cave in Genesis chapter 23. Also, the name Judith in Genesis chapter 26. This group would include the Hittites, who were the vassals of Solomon. In fact, they would also be one and the same as the group seemingly in constant conflict with the Israelites. According to the theory, they were a small tribe living in the nearby hills. With this, they are easily differentiated from the Hittites of the Anatolian kingdom. The second group in this theory would of course be the Anatolian Hittites. This group, and of course their kings, were extremely powerful, akin to the Egyptians of the same era. These would be the Hittites that had enough military might that the sound of them alone would intimidate the kings of Syria, as seen in the passages in both 2 Kings chapter 7 and 2 Chronicles chapter 1. It reads, So they arose at twilight to go to the Aramean camp, but when they came to the edge of the Aramean camp, there was no one there at all, for the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the sound of chariots, and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, The king of Israel has hired the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to fight against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp just as it was, and fled for their lives. By context alone, this implies a group much stronger and with a reputation that far exceeds the group that was a tributary to Solomon. So what do we make of this, and how can these two groups be reconciled? Enter Occam's Razor, which simply stated is a problem-solving methodology best summed up by the theory that the simplest answer is probably the correct answer. A little bit of a pun, and pardon me if you will. But it can be paraphrased as, if you hear the sound of hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. And in this case, the simplest answer is that the Anatolian group were probably not Hittites, but a different group, possibly with a similar name. Or they could have been the same group, and later references were after their power had greatly diminished. I'll cover the Anatolian group next week and provide more insight into the latter theory. And if I were to end right here, it would make for a rather short episode. So instead, I'll wrap up this week with a slight excursion into the language of the Hittites. As we've seen in previous episodes, most of the records of the language comes from archaeological finds, especially records of the early language. Within the Hittite language, records as far back as about the 19th century BC have been found. And they are mostly on fragments of pottery. It appears that the language remained in use for about 900 years, until around 1100 BC. As for the language itself, Hittite appears to be the best documented language within Anatolia, at least of those that are probably European in origin. This is also partly due to it being one of the oldest written languages in the region. Most of the knowledge concerning the language stems from what have become known as the Hattuasa tablets. These tablets form what is now referred to as the Royal Archives, and are primarily clay cuneiform in structure. 
they are principally official correspondence, contracts, legal codes, procedures for religious ceremonies, prophecies, and literature originating in the ancient Near East. Within the collection is one tablet that concerns the details of a peace settlement reached years after the Battle of Kadesh between the Hittites and the Egyptians, who were ruled at the time by Ramses II. The tablet dates to either 1259 or 1258 BC. The original tablet is on display at the Istanbul Archaeology Museum, while a copy can be found at the United Nations in New York City. Why does the UN keep a copy? Like I mentioned a few weeks ago, the treaty is considered the oldest known international peace treaty. Although the 30,000 or so clay tablets recovered from Hattusa form the main body of the Hittite literature, records have also been found at other locations in Turkey, such as Tabiga and Sapinawa. These tablets are now divided between the archaeological museums of Ankara and Istanbul. The language found on the tablets was deciphered by Czech linguist Bedrik Honzi, who concluded the language was indeed related to other Indo-European languages. Most researchers did not find his findings surprising, as the theory of the linguistic relationship had been proffered many decades before. But academic circles, like everywhere else, appreciate confirmation. Eventually, though, the use of the Hittite language was limited to administrative and religious functions, very similar to what happened to the Sumerian language. Also, and also similar to the Sumerians, the everyday language of the people was slowly replaced, and in the case of the Hittites, it was replaced with Luwian. And that's probably as good of a place as any to end this episode. Join me next week when I'll continue the history of the Hittites, specifically focusing on those in Anatolia. You don't want to miss it. This week, I hope you go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast and leave a positive review. I know I'm getting a bit redundant and maybe even a bit tiresome, and I've made this request several times and trust that more of you will take me up on it. And just remember, doing so helps others to find the podcast, and it only takes a minute of your time. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at ChristianHistoryPodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at ChristianHistoryPodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, of course, be sure to like the page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Thanks for listening and have a great week.